on the YouTube. I'm Dave Rubin and we've got another Friday panel extravaganza for you. Today we're doing a recap of a particularly crazy week with three stories that I don't think you're going to see too much of on mainstream media or as my friend Michael Malice calls it, uh, corporate media. And joining me today are host of the Young Heretics podcast and associate editor of The American Mind, Spencer Clavin author and former congressman from the great state of Florida, Trey Radell, and author of the new book, Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19, Dr. Nicole Safier. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks so great much. Great to, to be here. I am, uh, I'm glad to have the three of you with me. Uh, first time for all three of you, but I've wanted to talk to you guys for, for quite some time. Uh, this was a really bizarre week, and I selected these three stories because they're mostly gonna be ignored by mainstream. And I think that's basically the biggest problem we've got right now, that depending on what you watch is basically what you decide reality is. So, so let's start with uh, what's going on in New York City right now. We put together a little compilation of some of the violent attacks in New York City against the Jewish community. And believe me, there were many more that we could have shown and it's still unfolding at the moment. It's, it's rather depressing, but for my audience that hasn't seen it yet, Let's take a look. So just for a little added context there, uh, one of the clips there was from Los Angeles. And for those of you that are not familiar with New York City, the one outside Essebago there, that's the Upper East Side, that's where a huge amount of Jewish people live. And then one of the videos where you see them fighting in the street was in the Diamond District, which if you were ever going to hunt down Jews in New York City, you would go to the Diamond District. That's where all the Hasidic Jews, or many of the Hasidic Jews work. And this is just burst out onto the streets in America. Uh, Spencer, you're, you're one of the few people that doesn't seem to be afraid to talk about this sort of stuff. Where are we at? Man, I mean, those clips are just so difficult to watch. And it, it just feels to me like we are resurrecting all of the worst evils of history. I mean, we've been flirting with Marxism in this country on our streets now for years, really, really for decades, and it's been bursting out in these terribly violent ways. Now, this just hideous anti-Semitism, I mean, this is this is the great ancient evil, and it's happening all over Europe, too, where, of course, they have a long, long history with this stuff. They always, in the end, these people, when they start, you know, kind of taking to the streets and making these racialized arguments, you can set your watch for how long it's going to take before they start coming for the Jews. It's just, it's, it's, there's a deep set, pure evil. This is more to me than just politics. And this is the kind of stuff we were supposed to have been set free from in America. This is what we do not do in this 
this country. I was just reading the letter that George Washington sent to the synagogue in Rhode Island, to the congregation of Jews in Rhode Island. And he says that, may, you know, he, he fondly desires that the children of Abraham will have peace here from all the other inhabitants. I mean, th this this is the darkest side of human history is what's been done to Jews in the past. We've seen already the squad, these, you know, radical leftists that have infiltrated our, our Congress. This is nothing new with them. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when Ilan Omar was tweeting, it's all about the Benjamins in reference to like Jews buying political influence, essentially. Now AOC is out here condemning the state of Israel as if, you know, as if they have no right to defend themselves, no right to exist. And the, the implication of this is, is simply that Jews shouldn't be around. You can make any kind of fancy argument for it that you want, and they, people do. They dredge up all this history, but ultimately, at base, this is this is pure animus. I'm also old enough to remember when. About five minutes ago, there was an enormous campaign from all these same people to hashtag stop Asian hate. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't think that you should beat Asian people up either. But I, I certainly would love to know where all of that energy is now from CNN, from AOC, from Ayanna Presley, from the squad. It's just disgusting to me. There's a great article by John Podhoretz uh, on, on how Chuck Schumer has, you know, spent all of this time representing himself as the Shomer, which is Hebrew. That his, his name means guardian, right? He's the Shomer of the Jewish people. Nothing from him. Silence. No condemnation. No news stories. They're really showing their hand now on this stuff. And it's it's purely sickening to me. Yeah, it's just sort of burst forth. Nicole, uh, you're also a Fox News contributor, which I should have mentioned up top. So you're, you work in New York City sometimes. I mean, what, what's sort of the state of the city at the moment? Well, no doubt throughout COVID-19, New York City has turned into a modern day Gotham. Um, but, you know, and it's interesting that the media covers Black Lives Matter protests. They were all over the um, the anti-Asian hate, just as Spencer mentioned. But I'm not seeing the same fanfare and coverage as we're seeing with the growing anti-Semitism stuff. And, you know, I personally believe that it is imperative that the United States steps up and talks about Israel, which is the only nation in the Mideast that actually has the same core values as we do here in the United States in terms of religious freedom, sexual identity freedom. If we don't actually stand up to show support for Israel, that is then we're actually neglecting our own core values. And so I also want to hear people come forward and to talk about that. I mean, remember last year, Nancy Pelosi was walking through Chinatown at the beginning yep. of the pandemic saying, mm. pandemic saying, hey, come on here. It's safe. It's great here. I mean, obviously she shouldn't have been doing that, but why isn't where why isn't she doing that now with the growing anti-Semitism? You know, that's a great point because Pelosi was not only marching in Chinatown at the beginning of COVID saying, you know, come here, but at the same time she was calling Trump racist for calling for a travel ban from China. And and just for the record, you know, even if Israel was the most evil state on the place of the earth, which obviously I do not believe to be true, even if that was true, you can't just attack people with religious and sectarian violence in the United States because of something going on in another country. Trey, from a, from a guy that was, was in Congress for a couple years, none of this surprises me because this has been brought into Congress. This is what AOC and Tlaib and Omar have ushered into Congress. Are, are you surprised in a weird way? No, this is the Democratic Party today, and they are really adding fuel to the fire when you have these people like Johan Omar in reference to what uh, Andrew said on, on the Benjamins. The reality of what's going on here is this is Hamas in Manhattan. 
And what's happening in Israel right now is pretty clear. This is not an Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This is an Israeli-Hamas conflict. And there's no moral equivalence whatsoever. Hamas targets women and children. The Israelis target military installations where, by the way, Hamas hides children. Yeah. Back to Manhattan. This is These are terror attacks. That's exactly what's going on in Manhattan with what these people are doing, how they're randomly attacking people that they be, believe to be Jewish. It's a terror attack by definition. And the last thing that I'd add to all of this to again really center on one of the great, what was one of the greatest cities in the world, New York, is that this is what you get when you defund the police. Look, I'm libertarian as hell. I believe in major police reforms. I believe that we're an overcriminalized society. But when you defund the police and you've got 50% or something ridiculous like that of NYPD retiring early as soon as they can, and they can't even recruit members to get onto the police force, this is what you get. It's yeah. also, I mean, it's what you get, isn't it, when you lock people up for an indefinite period of time in tiny New York cubicles, right? I mean, I've I've been in New York apartments. I've lived in New York apartments. I know that just like in L.A., if you're shut up in there for, you know, just who knows how long, really? I mean, forever, as far as as far as the politicians are concerned. And then suddenly you let all of that energy spill out onto the streets and you take away law enforcement. This stuff is a recipe for for utter disaster. It's it, it's disappointing, but it's no surprise at this point. You know, we shouldn't even be shocked. Yeah, well, and it doesn't even it doesn't even ahead. look like the United States anymore. My nephew is a member of the Israeli army. He left several years ago and then he came back to live in New York City and he said all of a sudden New York City is having more and similar to some of the combat zones that he was in when he was in Israel and you know and that is exactly what happened when you take away law enforcement. You know, and I to your in, point I, I grew up in or most of my adult life I was living in New York City and I grew up in New York and when I was in New York City a few weeks ago actually when I did the Gutfeld show it's the first time I've been there in a year and a half. It felt like I am legend. I kid you not. It felt <laughs> like a ghost town. And there were just people wandering around that looked very shady. There were no families out together, no young kids, a lot of barricades, a lot of cops. And, and here we are. But, but one other thing on the, on the policing part of this, Trey, that you brought up, is part of this not just that they've defunded the police, and we know it is a fact. We've covered it on the show many times, that whenever they defund the police, every single progressive city they've done this, murder and crime has risen. Every single one, with no exception. But do you think partly that the ship has sailed in a way that we, for the last two years, the Democrats have basically said violence is okay. Get in their face, Maxine Waters. This is what they've said is okay. We've said burning down buildings is okay. And we've said punching Nazis is okay. And in essence, they label everyone a Nazi. So is it almost like it's too far now to, to come back in any sensible way? Trey? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the summer of 2020, again, to kind of piggyback off of what Spencer was saying with regards to locking people down. What the hell do you expect when you've got people in their 20s and 30s, especially younger dudes who just, you know, are filled with testosterone and they want to go out and they want to be social and they want to meet people. They want to find a job, share their resume, go out of their freaking home and they get locked down. It's no wonder that you had this explosion of violence because people had quite frankly lost their damn minds. And not only do you see these calls to defund the police, but they take over what you're saying. Not only is there encouraging of violence, but one of the major problems in the country today is that the way that the corporate media will cover a Republican 
who says something dumb, understandably mm-hmm. offhanded as being, oh, my God, you need to resign. You need to get out of Congress or you need to be canceled if you're a private citizen, whatever it is. But when someone like Maxine Waters directly calls for violence, it's literally not covered in any way, shape or form. And that's that's a sh- real shame. Yeah, actually, let's, let, let's go a little further. Yeah, let's go a little further with that. Spencer, we've talked about this a lot, just that the, the mainstream media, the corporate press, they have just failed us to the point that nobody knows what they're talking about anywhere, anymore. Nobody knows basic history. Nobody knows basic facts. And if you watch CNN on an average day, you live in a very different reality than I do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much to Trey's point that this this is a, people are watching two different movies essentially, and we wouldn't all be here if we didn't believe that the the real movie is something very different from what's being shown on on CNN. But people truly they cannot break the grip of this spell, and they do. They come out, they lie, and they lie, and they lie, and then they don't tell you that they lied, and then afterward they just tell you something different, and everybody switches the narrative, right? I mean, this is. It, it is truly impossible to penetrate at this point some of the fog that that they've effectively created. It's one of the reasons why digital media is so important, right? It's part of why this sort of rebel uh, right wing conservative media that has grown up is is a huge part of the solution for the future. But also, I mean, there is there's something key to this too, which is the educational element, right? This insidious way that for decades, not just the 1619 Project, which is the New York Times's, you know, sort of anti-American screed, but even before that, like Howard Zinn's People's History of America, they pump this stuff into public schools. They pump this poisonous ideology that tells you to hate your country, to hate your gender, to hate yourself, right? And of course, as, as we've been saying now, like this is a recipe for getting people on the streets and they want that. I mean, if you go back and you read Nicole Hannah-Jones tweets about this stuff, she's not trying to tell the truth. She's trying to create a narrative. And this sort of thing, you know, only ends one way. And as Trey was saying, this is the Democrat party. They, they don't even really need to hide it because they actually believe this. They're being more and more explicit. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, too, when we get to masks. You know, they're, they're, they're being more and more explicit about it. Soon they won't need to hide it because they've just indoctrinated so many people. Spencer, if only someone had been warning about what the Democrats were becoming, right? If only someone had been out there, some guy with a YouTube show or something like that, if only that happened. Yeah. I mean, in essence, look, they know well. they're lying, we know they're lying, and they know that we know they're lying, and they keep lying. But that's actually a perfect segue because I do want to talk about uh, some of the COVID stuff. And Nicole, this is what your new book is about. But let's before I get into the specifics about Pelosi and the, and the hypocrisy and all that, can you just talk a little bit about what it's been like to report on COVID in in the last year and, and how you've tried to not spread misinformation in a time where nobody trusts the experts anymore. I think the expert class has completely blown themselves apart. Well, you know, I approached the last year and nearly a half now from many different facets. One, I'm being a mother of three boys. I'm also a physician working full time. And then, you know, I do, you know, a lot of reporting for Fox News and a lot of writing as well. And, you know, early on, I can tell you that um, any information that was coming out, you know, we didn't know what to trust. We were dealing with the left and forthcoming China. That was really all we could do and just listen to what was happening with the whistleblowers. There's been continuing evolving information. Some things we were right about, a lot of things we were wrong about. 
But it became blatantly obvious right away that all of a sudden certain narratives were starting to form. And it was truly the knee-jerk anti-Trumpism, which were creating these narratives. And there was creating so much more discord. I mean, it is not abnormal to have two physicians, two scientists to disagree on what a treatment may be. I mean, in fact, that's how we get some of the best experimentation. But what the media did with this was they took it and they ran with it. And so you were either pro-science, if you were going with what said Dr. Fauci was saying, but the fact that President Trump mentioned like hydroxychloroquine, all of a sudden, if you supported that, you were anti-science. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that people all over the world had already been studying hydroxychloroquine. And so I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but the bottom line, what big tech and media did with it to create this controversy that didn't really exist, it was disgusting. And then the fact that you had world-renowned medical journals have to actually retract some papers because fraudulent data was used. I mean, this just took it to another level. And the reason I decided to write that book was because I was appalled at how panic and fear was being instilled into the American people. And although the mantra was to follow the science, they were really doing anything but following the science. In the beginning, yes, we didn't have much science. But I mean, by the summer, we knew a lot more about that virus than we knew in the beginning. And it was Honestly, it is just unfathomable how certain restrictions weren't even rolled back then. Yeah, and you mentioned panic and fear, which we can very easily link to the previous story, which is that if you keep people locked in their houses, afraid and without jobs and without social interaction and drinking more, and we know the rates of suicide and everything else, they might start acting in crazy ways. They, that might actually happen. I just wanna read three data points for you guys and then Trey, I'll throw it to you. So right now, over 126 million Americans have been fully vaccinated, which is about 38% of the country. There's a 3.1 positivity rate in the US right now, which is the lowest since March of last year, according to John Hopkins. And hospitalizations continue to fall by about 10% weekly, according to the CDC. Uh, Trey, you know I'm jealous of you, man. And every time I'm in Florida, I see you and you're tan and smiling <laughs> and happy. But you're in Florida right now, you're in, you're in Southwest Florida. Uh, your, your governor, who I think has basically shown us the way out of this lunacy, has, has saved the state. Um, I don't know, pimp out your state, I suppose, or just what the correct policies should have been. Yeah, uh, hey America, welcome to catching up with Florida right now. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of Governor Ron DeSantis. I love Ron. Ron, uh, I'm very proud to call him a friend. I was sworn in to Congress with him uh, and we've stayed in touch over the years. Uh, look, he, he, I mean, think about the set of cojones he had to have at the yep. beginning of all of this to look at mainstream media in the face and say, no, I'm reopening. I, the science shows us that we can reopen and we can be safe. And that's what the data has shown us is that we have been open for well over a year now. And what do you have? You've got roughly about the same numbers as Texas and California in terms of infection, hospitalization, fatalities. The major difference is we're, God, and this sounds so cliche, we're free people here. Mm -hmm. We have been able to to go out to, oh, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, we've been allowed yep. to go to parks, to the beaches, to restaurants, even bars. And so I think DeSantis has done a hell of a job in leading us uh, out of this. And, and look, one thing I just don't understand about liberals today, the liberals that 
I have known through history are sort of going chronologically. 1960s, it was hell no, we won't go. The government's bad. We don't like their foreign policy in Vietnam. You even go to black power films in the 1970s, and it was stand up to the man. You go to 1980s hip hop, two live crew that fought for free speech, along with Ice T, public enemies fight the power. What I call an American healthy distrust mm -hmm. of government to the 1990s rage against the machine, F you, I won't do what you tell me. And liberals today, they are now the man, they're the machine. And it, it's not resistance, it's compliance everywhere. And that scares the hell out of me in the way that so much of America, I think has just been brainwashed to sit back and, and do what the government tells them to do. Yeah, well, well said, Trey. Although, you know, you can brag all you want about Florida, but just FYI, the local park near me, a year ago, they took down the basketball hoops because, you know, most people were dying while playing basketball during COVID. And yes. just the other day, I was out there driving and they have put the hoops up. So young nice. people are allowed to shoot hoops again here in Los Angeles. So brag all you want. Uh, Spencer, but let, let's talk about the young element of this. I feel like how old are you? Am I allowed to ask how old a guest is? You certainly, yeah, I'm, I'm 30, 30 you're years 30. old. Okay. Yeah. You're 30, okay. You're the kid on the panel, or at least the youngest <laughs> on the panel. What what has happened here where when, when Trey says the word, you know, freedom and liberty, that is just not a phrase that the brainwashed masses of young people seem to be using. They just don't seem to care or understand the basic reality of it. No, I agree. I mean, I think it's a really good point that even the left, in fact, in some cases, especially the left of yesteryear, was known for its sort of rebellious. I mean, all American spirit has something of that, you know, desire for liberty that don't tread on me uh, in it. And and they hijacked it, I think, in two in two ways. One of them has to do with the education stuff that I was just talking about. If you get them in the schools, if you teach them an anti-American idea from the beginning, then they grow up and it's really, really hard to get people out of that mindset. But then there's what Nicole was talking about, which was the the expertise issue, right? This crisis of, of experts where, yeah, it's absolutely true that science evolves and develops. All scholarship evolves and develops. People change their minds. They have conversations. These things are good. They make corrections, all that stuff. Now, in that process, you have these just arrogant ideologues grabbing whatever the latest thing is that happens to be political, politically expedient. They shove it in your face. And not only do they tell you that you have to believe it, if you even question it, you're not just wrong. You're evil. You're bad, right? You're un-American. You're a pariah. And it's that condemnation that gets into people's hearts, right? Because nobody wants to be evil, right? That's that, that deep-seated shame where they just tell, and then, you know, they change their opinion. And this is the next thing that you must now believe or you're wrong and evil and bad. Of course, of course, people are rejecting expertise since that's how they're behaving. But it basically leaves you with two options, right? Either you just shuck the whole thing, you make your own way, you seek your own knowledge and, and the real truth that's out there, or you obey. And, uh, and that's what people are doing. I want Nicole to comment on that. But first, yeah. I want to throw to this video. The, this is a compilation video. It's only about 45 seconds or so. This is Nancy Pelosi yesterday talking about how everyone should still be wearing masks because she doesn't want a Petri dish and she doesn't want people up in her face, breathing up in her face. Frankly, I wouldn't want her with the alcohol breath in my face. But then it will flash to later in the day and you're not going to believe what happens, guys. You're just not going <laughs> to believe it. What is this, the honor system? The honor system? as to whether somebody's been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? This is about science and governance. 
and science and governance, we have a responsibility to make sure that the House of the Representatives chamber is not a petri dish. You're not going to believe that. She didn't wear the same clothes in two days or two weeks apart. That was the same day she's in the Petri dish. Nicole? Well, you know what? So you go back to last summer and you look at what Mayor de Blasio did. He put chains around the children's playground so children couldn't go play. Yet there he was helping to paint Black Lives Matter in front of the Trump Tower with protesters. So Americans are smart. They don't blindly trust the government as obviously they should not. And so they started catching on that a lot of the things that were being done were hypocrisy. And so although we were told to follow the science, uh, it wasn't actually happening. And you're still seeing that happen. I mean, Speaker Pelosi, uh, She's not even following the CDC recommendations right now. The White House had li has lifted the mandates, but she has said, nope, the mask is going to remain on the floor until 100% of Congress is vaccinated. That, to be honest, it's really frustrating when I see this, because first of all, you have 75% of Congress which have been vaccinated, which means they already have reached like a, a vaccine-induced level of herd immunity. Mm -hmm. But then you add that to the handful of people who aren't vaccinated who have recovered from COVID-19, like Congressman Massey, who's also protected because I have just as many studies to show that his natural immunity is as protective as Speaker Pelosi's vaccine-induced immunity. And you're not, it's not anti-vax to question why people are continuing to neglect the concept of natural immunity and herd immunity. The goal has never been to get 100% of the population vaccinated. The goal has not been to get to zero cases. It's to get to a level of risk that is acceptable or has been previously deemed access acceptable. And we're there now. The emergency is over. The pandemic is not over, but the emergency is over. And they need to drop this virtue signaling, drop the hypocrisy, and actually start following the science. They are the self-declared party of science. Yeah, you know, and you know that, since you mentioned since you mentioned Thomas Massey, I've quoted him a couple times this week because he sent out a, several tweets saying that even though they keep showing up on television in masks and they go on this, the floor of the house in masks, that basically no one in the Capitol in the buildings, meaning security and the staff and even the Congress people are actually wearing them behind the scenes, that they're doing it purely for theater. Spencer, go ahead. Well, I mean, this is the, the hypocrisy that Nicole points out is absolutely disgusting, so brazen. But this is another thing that they're becoming more and more open about. They're, they, you know, they used to try to at least hide it, like at least Pelosi had to get caught at that hair salon mm -hmm. when she was locking everybody down. But now, you know, the people the, now that the CDC is basically saying you can unmask if you're if you're vaccinated and now that the whole country is essentially saying we're just done with this. And now they're writing articles. There's an article in The Atlantic just the other day. Right. I'm still masking as a form of social signaling. That's that's why I'm doing it. And you see people on Twitter, David Hogg, right? I'm, I'm going to wear my mask when people know I'm not a Republican. It was always about this, but yeah. the cards are, again, on the table. All right. You well, know, that's so, the thing. You, you have people yeah, not ahead, losing the mask because they feel like they're giving in to President Trump if they don't wear a mask. But ultimately, that is the most disgusting show of disrespect to just science and what we have accomplished in the last year. Take off your mask. It is time. So, There's something, you know, let's well, let's actually stick with this for the rest. So we're going to we're going to put the third story aside and we'll finish up with this. Uh, Trey, I want to let you jump in here. But when I was in Florida last time, you, you know where I go. And I was sitting at a bar uh, having a margarita and I met and talked to another human being. It was truly extraordinary. An 87 year old woman who was sitting at a bar having a margarita by herself. 
okay? <laughs> uh, and it w can you just talk to that? That it's, it's sort of what you were referencing before, but just that these people have chosen to live free. I, I just don't think it can be understated, the importance of someone saying, this is my life, I will live how I see fit. Yes, I'm glad that those people still exist in our country. And there apparently is a hell of a lot of them here in Florida where even Democrats uh, are giving Governor DeSantis high approval ratings for the way that he handled uh, this pandemic. And, and I'm glad I, I know specifically uh, in the area that I live in here in southwest Florida, it's people who are skeptical in a very healthy way and who ask questions about what the federal government is saying, messaging, what they're trying to do. That messaging part, I think, is really important to understand what's happening here. We obviously see all of the hypocrisy from Democrats across the country, uh, whether it's Gavin Newsom shutting down businesses, making restaurants go into bankruptcy while fine dining at a Michelin-rated restaurant yep. uh, in Napa, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago going to the salon, same with Pelosi, de Blasio. The, the examples go on and on. But here's what's happening, and let me take a shot at Republicans here of the past for a second. Do you know where Pelosi got the page that she's running on right now? It's Bush-Cheney. What they're doing is what Bush and Cheney did in the early 2000s post 9-11. Bush and Cheney, I believe wholeheartedly that they utilized fear in any way that they could to further advance their political agendas. Now look, I think that some of them were smart and they still protect us in this country today, but undoubtedly they went overboard, but they were able to do so by instilling fear in people. The way that you instill fear is with emotion, objects, symbols, and in this case, it's a mask. And what Nancy Pelosi is making a conscious effort to do, as well as governors and Joe Biden himself all over the country, is they're wearing this mask constantly because they want to keep the level of fear as high as possible so they can advance their agenda legislation. It, it, it's like this is not any kind of conspiracy. Their legislation in the House and the Senate to spend trillions of more dollars to reshape the economy, to spend COVID relief, which is not about COVID or relief, yeah. to spend on infrastructure, which is not about infrastructure. It's about advancing their agenda through fear. And I'm telling you, they took a page from Bush Cheney in the early 2000s. So you know, we've, got, you wanna... we've got about two minutes here. I, I actually want to give Nicole the last word here because I think ending ending the, the week, it's Friday, uh, helping people get over fear, exactly what Trey just said, I think is the most important thing. It's what I've desperately been trying to do on this show. But, but Nicole, I mean, you're, you're also a radiologist. I mean, you deal with people with, with cancer and serious diseases all the time. And I'm, and I'm sure people that have, you know, just un, undescribable fears, legitimate fears. But what would you say from a medical perspective about the people that will not accept that things are getting better, that have been trapped and are afraid and alone and all of those things? And wh where's the hope? Where's the hope? That's what I want to go out with here. So I can tell you, first of all, next time I'm reaching out to Trey, next book I write, because he essentially just gave the foreword of my book that is coming out next week, <laughs> Panic Attack, because that's exactly what it is. The fear that has been instilled in the American people during a presidential year undoubtedly is not a coincidence. Um, and, and I want people to look at the data at this point. It has been a very difficult 15 months, but the emergency truly is over. And it is time to accept that and embrace that and let go of the fact that we have all been hunkered down and been told 
that if we don't hunker down, then we're going to not only risk our lives, but those around us. We have to truly start looking at the big picture. We have to do what's best for everyone, and especially our children. And the fact that they are not allowing our children to get back to everyday life right now, I do believe is criminal. And at some point, someone's going to have to be held accountable for the damage that is being done. The goal has never been to just control this virus. Unfortunately, they did not look at a country as a whole, and some of the damage is going to far outlast that of the virus itself. Hold them accountable. I'm talking about Cuomo. I'm talking about Newsom. I'm talking about Whitmer and the rest of them. And I'm looking at you, Trey, because you're down there in Florida making me jealous. Really something. Uh, guys, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I hope you did too. I know that the audience did. And I thank you. I'm going to continue for a few minutes. Have a great weekend to the three of you guys. Thank you. And I'll, I'll thank just you talk to you guys for, for a little bit more. You know, this was obviously, um, this has been a very trying week, you know, for I think absolutely everybody on sort of all fronts for different reasons. I would say in, in a weird sense, this has been the most trying week for me personally doing this show because uh, this stuff is personal. You know, like when I saw those people in LA just get attacked just for sitting there, for going out to dinner. Uh, as I said earlier, it doesn't matter what you think about geopolitics. It doesn't matter what you think about the Middle East or what you think about Israel or Hamas or any of those things. If we've shifted to the place in the United States where sectarian violence is allowed on the streets, that sort of ethno-religious violence is allowed on the streets, or just that if you don't agree with someone politically on literally anything, whether it's a foreign policy in a, in a uh, war halfway across the world, or whether it's abortion, or whether it's the marginal tax rate, if we are have truly got to the place where violence is allowed politically, then in many ways, the experiment of America that I always talk about really is over. And this is what I now believe to be the fight of our generation. And I would say, at least for a guy like me, it is the fight of my life. And I will fight with you guys. And I, I know, you know, I'm reading the comments in, in our locals community, and I know you guys are starting to get ready to fight. And I know that many of you are fighting in your own way. And we all, you know, not everyone can do it on YouTube. Not everyone can do it by, by being a police officer, but you can do it by being a citizen who does the right thing and helping somebody be better to your neighbor and all of those things. But, you know, linking what was happening, obviously, in the streets of New York. I mean, this is also the city that I spent most of my adult life. I know those streets. I, I have a cousin that lives right by that bagel shop. Um, and, and also, I can't disconnect that from that, what is happening right now, you know, all these people, they're, they're blaming this, okay, this is on Israel. Doesn't matter what you think about the geopolitics of it. You know, there were pogroms and holocausts and inquisitions and all sorts of stuff before Israel, right? So the stuff that's happening now in many ways has nothing to do with Israel. I think it's related far more to a horrific authoritarian Marxist movement that is on the march in the United States and, and the West. And it's like, if they get the United States, forget Israel. If they get the United States, if this thing really is here and it has been ushered in by some really horrific people in, in the progressive caucus, uh, and now it's being, it's being sold to us by a 78-year-old man that everyone knows has dementia, but they won't talk about it on CNN, and he's obviously not in charge. So I don't know, is it Obama in charge? I don't know, I don't know. But if this is really where we're at, then, then we are at the tail end of the whole thing. But if we're at the tail end, well, wouldn't you wanna fight? Wouldn't you wanna fight? And if we're not at the tail end, wouldn't you wanna fight? Like fight, I, I have watched so many people, so many of my, my former colleagues and friends, the, the, the so-called good liberals just fold and disappear and have nothing 
to say about any of this. And if it was, if this was anyone, if this was any innocent person, you know, when, when Asian people were being attacked, the media didn't know what to do with it. It's still happening, by the way. I mean, I just saw more videos of it yesterday. But when Asian people are being attacked, the media wasn't quite sure what to do because they want to frame everything that it's evil Trump supporters doing all this stuff. And it's not, it's not, it, it's just not. You want to talk about a big lie? That's the big lie. The, the left has become rabid and racist, and I would argue evil at this point. And I'm sorry to say that, I really am. And I wish it wasn't true. And it's in many ways what I spent the last five years trying to warn people about. That book right there, that's what it's all about. I was trying to say, this is our last chance, liberals, to do something, but the liberals have failed. We are at the, it's seemingly at the end of the liberal order. Uh, by the way, I'm not the only person talking about this. There are some others, and I'm, and I'm gonna get a bunch of them on the show over the next uh, few months to, to continue this discussion. But the liberals have failed, and perhaps that is a flaw in liberalism that just is. But we can now wake up. We can now wake up, or we can say, we're gonna live in a society that you can beat up people on the streets and throw bombs at people in the streets if you don't like them or if they have some policy you don't like. And by the way, we're gonna vote in elected officials like Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, who will only be interviewed by people based on the color of their skin. And we can re-racialize everything and actually we can burn down uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. statue in Washington, D.C., or at least deface it. Maybe they don't usually burn these statues. It takes a while to burn statues and these people don't have a lot of effort to put into things. But we can put graffiti on it, we can knock that thing over, and we can destroy all our monuments and we can destroy all our history and we can do all that. We can, we can descend slowly into hell that the progressives are trying to bring, but there's nobody left. There's nobody left in the Democratic Party. As a matter of fact, Tulsi Gabbard, who, had a, who I would say was probably the last decent Democrat, she even tweeted this morning, in essence, that Lori Lightfoot is a racist, and she is, except Tulsi's really on the outs with the Democrats. I'm not saying that makes her a Republican, and it's not, it's not for me to say, um, but there's nothing left. You think Pelosi is gonna stand up to this? No, she's not going to. They have folded to the radicals. That's it, and, and all right, in, in, in this weird time that we live in, I guess everyone has to take a, uh, draw a line in the sand and say, this is it. I'm not moving anymore. So I'm not moving anymore. And I will fight you motherfuckers. And that's it. That's it. Uh, that was an odd way to end when I'm trying to give you uh, guys some hope. But I, but there is some hope in that. Um, and, and I know there's hope in that. There is hope in that. Because America is a promise of this extraordinary dream. And, and just, again, guys, I, I know I say this all the time, but think about whoever it is in your family that came to America. You may not even know them. Most likely they're not, they're long gone. And you may not even be sure in your own family tree, was it your great-grandparents, your great-great-great-grandparents or, or long before that? Or was it grandparents that you never even knew? I mean, whatever it is, or whether it's your parents or whether you're a first-generation immigrant, everyone came here to make it better and we've done it. We've done it and it ain't perfect, but I'm tired of saying that too because there is nothing that's perfect. But it is time to fight for this country. It is time. That is not racist, that is not bigoted. Everything they're throwing at us is. They wanna destroy it, they wanna label all of us, and too many of us folded, too many of us were afraid. Well, it's here. It is literally here. There is violence on the streets, which has been happening. Now it's, there's sectarian religious violence. They are trying to destroy all of our institutions, and what will you do? Well, I hope you'll have a great weekend. I actually hope you'll have a great weekend and not be totally consumed by this. And I hope you'll be with people you love and friends. And I hope you're gonna eat some good food and maybe listen to some music and go to the park and do whatever it is that you love to do. But let's fight. 
Let's fight. I'm gonna fight. Are you? All right, that's it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.